Well, here you are with just a few minutes left on the clock on this first ever weekend. I hope it was a good one. Did you guys have a great weekend? I hope you did. You know, um, you, you really, you have no idea um, what it is that you started. And so I'm just so thankful again for you to, to, uh, to be able to do what you've done. It's a great testament to you. And, and one of the questions I got for you this morning is, you know, if you really wanted to impact the world and you really wanted to have your life be full, part of what we've talked about so far is, is two things. We talked about, one, you've got to listen to God's voice. You've got to try to figure out what it means to really follow Him and listen and hear. That's what life to the full is reserved for, is for the folks who try to listen to the Lord. You know, Jesus tells a story about, you know, the house built on the rock and the house built on the sand. He said, the difference is one puts, listens and actually does something with it. That's the one built on the rock. So listening to God's voice, you've been doing that this week. And the other thing we talked about was this whole idea of lose your life. The irony of life is to get your life, to find it, you have to lose it. And most people never figure that out. And so if you do those two things, you're on a great start. Well, this third thing we want to talk about this morning, this isn't my idea, this is Jesus' idea as well. And, and it's this, it's, it's if you are going to impact the world and have your life have deep and rich meaning, and you had 24 hours left on the clock, we've got you know, just a few minutes left together here this morning. But if you had just 24 hours left on the clock and you knew you were going to die, how would you spend it? I mean, you really stop and you think, like, if I had 24 hours left and I wanted to impact and change the world, what would I do? And this morning we're going to look at what Jesus did. I mean, with 24 hours left, he knew he was going to die. And you know what he did? He did this. He did exactly what you did this weekend. He pulled together a small group of friends. He, did, you know, he didn't form an army. He didn't write a book. He didn't get out battle plans and say, okay, you're going to go here and you're going to go here. And he didn't take the group of 5,000. If it was me, I would have got as many people and I would have said, okay, listen, here's how we're going to spread this whole message of who I am. And instead, he takes a small group of friends and he takes them off by themselves. And he says, you want to know how we're going to do this? This is how we're going to do this. This is how it's all going to change. Because this is that third piece of the puzzle that you have to have. If you have it in your life, you'll never forget it. And that's this. That you were designed to do this with friends. God did not make Lone Rangers. He made you to do this with a group of friends who would have your back, who would be with you, who would try to love with you, who would try to change the world with you. And, that, and that's what you've got. I hope some of y'all have made friendships on this weekend. Some of y'all are going home and going, I wonder if we'll be friends when we get back home. And you know, I hope that you will. Because it's God's design to change you and to change the world. You know, one of the mistakes that we've made is in the United States, we always say, well, your faith is your faith. Your faith is personal. Well, you know, one of the beautiful things of the gospel is your faith is personal. Jesus died for you. But you know what? He also died for us. It's about more than you. Only we would think it's selfish enough that it's just us. And instead, it's this groups of people as it comes around. And if you think about it, what attracted you? What sucked you into this thing? Odds are, it wasn't just, you know, I just want to go find God, so I'm going to go find Him in young life. That probably wasn't it. It was probably a group of people that did stuff, that there was some chemistry about it, something about it that had the aroma that you were just like, I just want to be around those people. When I was in high school, my first experience with Young Life Leaders, um, I was a sophomore in high school, and they, this guy was, uh, Young Life Leaders house-sitting at this mansion of a house that was in the town next door to ours. And so he was having a whole bunch of people over. We had about 25 or 30 people that he had come over that night for just kind of like a gathering at this person's house. 
And what they did was they, they uh, later on in the night, just kind of like you last night, we were just finding stupid things to do. And so they played sardines, you know, where they turn off all the lights and you're kind of running around the house and one person hides and everybody else got to be quiet. And when you find the person, you hide with them until one person's left wandering on the house stupidly by themselves, right? And the joke's on them. And then they're it next. That's sardines, right? So we're wandering around the house and slowly people just start disappearing, disappearing. I'm thinking, oh, Jesus is not good, right? And so finally I stumble into the master bedroom and then into the master bathroom and realize that they all have gotten in this gigantic glass shower. They have 20-some people in this gigantic glass shower. And we're all just kind of packed in there. And the last couple people are coming, and the last person ends up being the other Young Life leader, who was a buddy of the one who was kind of packed in the shower with us. And sure enough, as soon as he kind of walked in there, my Young Life leader stepped out of the shower, shut the door, and turned it on. (laughs) 20-some of us in there. Pandemonium. We shattered the glass of the shower. But we never had so much fun. You know, it was a part of this thing. I just, I left that night and I thought like, I don't even care what those people believe. I just want to be with them. I just want to be around them. See, that's God's design of how he knits it together. The fullness of Jesus is in a team of friends. And so this is how Jesus does it with 24 hours on the clock. And you tell me if this isn't true. It says it was just before the Passover feast. And Jesus knew that the time for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. You see, with 24 hours on the clock, Jesus thinks this. This is a phrase my father used to say growing up. I get made fun of for it, but it's true. He used to say, like, I don't want to hear it out of your mouth. I want to see it in your deeds. And he would say it like this. The proof is in the pudding. I think that's what Jesus thinks, is the proof is in the pudding. If the pudding tastes good, if it smells good, then what's in the pudding, I'll buy. I'll believe. Is it worth it? Is it real? What is it like at your high school? How is it at your school? You know, some of y'all have young life that's great at your high school. And I would tell you why it's great at your high school. Because there's some group of people that are the nonverbal gospel, right? Club and camp and all that stuff, that's the verbal gospel. We get a chance to tell people about it. But if the nonverbal gospel, if there's not a group of people who are loving God, loving each other, and loving other people in such a way that other people buy what you're selling, then it ain't working. I have people all the time, and they'll say, you know, young life at our high school, it's just, you know, it's just flat, it's just not working. I say, well then, the pudding is probably not tasty enough. There's probably not a compelling group of people that are big enough that are figuring out how to love each other, love God, and love other people in their school in such a way that other people would be interested in everything else. How do you stir that pudding and make it work? We have campaigners at our high school, and we do it a lot of times. We'll bring uh, guys and girls together, and we'll split back up. We'll do different things. But one of the things that we talk about is, what's the pudding like at Myers Park High School? And one of the things we'll spend time talking about, I'll give you examples, is we'll say, how are our guys in campaigners loving our girls? So we had this conversation. We just said, how could our guys love our girls in such a real way that it would be tangible? You know, how could our girls love our guys in such a way to be tangible? So like one of our things we started doing was our guys kind of said, okay, every time we're at school and we see one of our girls coming, we're going to open the door for them. I mean, just picture that. You're just in school and one of the guys who's in campaigners and you're walking up and they just go, hey, and they kind of call out your name and they wait and they open the door. Now, the girl who's walking through the door is usually walking with somebody who's maybe not another campaigner girl, but just another girl at school. What does that girl say? Why is he doing that? I mean, that's... Why, did, why do people do that stuff for you? I mean, we've had it where our girls started making some different stuff for our guys at times and just kind of bringing it over to them at the lunch table. And the other guys would be like, what, is she like you? No, she doesn't like me. She's just her friend. Oh, yeah, like, she wants to date you. No, actually, she's, you know, they, 
they've got a boyfriend or whatever. You know, it's like that people can't figure it out when our guys and our girls start to care for each other in different ways. Do you have that conversation as campaigners together? Do you talk to, about it with each other? You know what else blows people away is when our upperclassmen love our underclassmen. I mean, it's weird. If there's a group of freshmen or sophomores at a lunch table and some upperclassmen come over and just kind of sit down with them and hang out with them for a few minutes or do something nice for them, when they leave the table, what do the other underclassmen say? How do you know them? You know? And I'll be honest, what our folks don't say is they don't say, well, it's because of young life. They just go, you know what? God brings me friends. And, I mean, if you follow God, you get friends. I mean, it's just one of the things that we're seeing. And people are going, well, I don't know what this God is, but I want a piece of him. And so Jesus knows that this is the evidence of what will happen. We had one of our kids um, who broke his collarbone. He was uh, our quarterback kind of prodigy. Everybody thought he was the one who was going to win all the games, right? And he came in, very first hit of the season, broke his collarbone, done. Just destroyed. Football was his whole life. He could not spell God. I mean, it was like football was everything in his life, and it all got taken away, and here he is in a sling. And so a couple of the guys got him to kind of go out with him after kind of coaching. I mean, he wouldn't leave his house, wouldn't leave his house, just so depressed. They got him to head out, and they went to a putt-putt place. And there they got all the campaigner girls and guys, about 30 or 40 people. All were waiting for him at the putt-putt place. When they got to the putt-putt place, all those people were in slings. And they had the AJ Memorial uh, Collarbone Tournament. And they all played one-handed. And they had a green jacket like the Masters. And they had different prizes. And the whole thing was just centered around him. You know, right now, AJ, he works for the United States government. He was over in Iraq in, in secret forces. But he's a different person. He knows Jesus. And the whole thing he talks about, he goes, man, you know what changed my life? That stupid collarbone tournament. I never had anybody do anything like that. I couldn't figure it out. He said, it took me months to figure out why they did that. But when I figured it out, I got it. And so it's during the pudding. You start to look and you start to think. And here's how Jesus does it. I'm going to give you a couple thoughts. I'll try to go fast. The evening meal is served. Here's Jesus. He's in an upper room with his close friends. He's going to die in 24 hours and he knows it. It says the evening meal is being served and the devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. Listen to this word. Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. See, one of the things about pudding is it knows it's on borrowed time. It knows it's on borrowed time. We talked about this a little bit before, so I won't go deep into it, but seniors, you have three quarters of the year left. You're already almost done. And you have to decide, is the rest of your senior year going to be about you or is it going to be about something bigger than you? juniors you are about to be seniors you will blink and you will be seniors and everybody wants to get to the air what will you do with it i mean this is going to fly by where will you invest your time because you're on borrowed time well jesus knew that so he gets up and he takes off his outer clothing and wraps a towel around and that's because that was the position of a servant so he begins to dress like a servant and one of the things that pudding knows is it's always a slave to something one of the things, if, if you know that you're going to kind of create this pudding at your school, you're going to be a slave to something. Everybody in your high school is a slave to something. You know this. A lot of them are slave to grades. It's like, man, if I just get the right grades, then I get into the right college. If I get the right college, then I'm going to have the right job. And then, like, the right person is going to marry me, and we're going to, like, have the right kids, and we're going to live in the right house, and it's going to have, like, the right picket fence and the two-car garage, and then one day I'm going to die, I'm going to be in a right uh, tomb with a tombstone. It's going to be the right one, man. Who cares? Your grades are not your life. They're important because they affect how you influence. But they're not your life. And part of it is, no, I'm a slave to those things, slave to popularity. 
You know, it's like, you all know this. It's like so much we care about what our friends think. I'll tell you the true test of popularity. Here it is. Ask yourself this question. After you leave, how popular are you? In my high school, Jeff Jacobs, his nickname was Bubba. He was a big kid on our football team. He was a senior. He came down to my sophomore locker bay. He was the one that grabbed me and my friends and started taking us places. We didn't even know where we were going. And he was dragging us to Young Life. And you know what? He graduated and left. The next year at the lunch table, we were sitting there eating. One of the guys goes, man, I just miss Bubba. Oh, I do too. And some other kids said, you know, I never heard him say a bad word about anybody. I thought to myself, well, they say things like that about me when I'm gone. That's the true test of popularity, is what happens after you leave, not just what people fake think of you now. So what is it that you want to be a slave to? So Jesus, taking this position of slave, pours water in a basin, begins to wash their feet, drying them with a towel that he had wrapped around them. Putting taste, seemingly wasted time. Think about this. Okay, if I was Jesus, you got 24 hours left and you're going to die, right? You want to change the whole world and you're going to die in 24 hours. He takes time to come down and pour water and start to wash their feet. How many guys are in the room, by the way? How many disciples? Twelve. So he washes their feet. I mean, it's got to take a couple minutes, right? Dries his feet. Then he goes to the next one. Now, if it was me, I would have done like two people and been like, okay, y'all get the object lesson. I don't need to do the other ten, do I? I mean, the clock's ticking. I'm going to die in less than 24 hours. Do I really have an hour and a half to wash people's feet? But apparently he did. Why would you do that? Why would you do something that takes so much time? Because to have real friendships takes wasted time. It takes playing cornhole and, and stupid games and just being together with people. And, and one of the things that's happening in your life I want to call you out on right now is you're too busy. I mean, it's like between text messages and Facebooks and everything else you're doing in your schedules and your 19 teams because you've got to get a scholarship. You're so busy. And one of the encouragements I would tell you is don't miss it. Slow down. You've got to have some wasted time in your life to have real deep friendships. They don't just happen. You know, there's a money trade philosophy. If, if I've never met you before and you're on the street corner and you come up and I say, hey man, uh, can I borrow a quarter? If we've never met, you might give me a quarter. You know, I need to make a phone call. There's a payphone here. Can I have a quarter? You might give me a quarter, right? If, if you and I uh, were in a little bit of a relationship, we knew each other a little bit, maybe you met each other here and I'm somewhere and I'm, hey, I'm short a dollar. Can I borrow a dollar? You might give me a dollar. To your deepest friends, if they were in trouble, they might go like, I need a hundred dollars you might find a way to give them $100. But here's the thing. If you walk up to somebody you don't know and go, hey man, can I have $100? Does that happen? No. Because you need time to make the information trade. It's the same thing. I can't tell you the number of people who go, I long for deep relationships and I don't have them. And the answer is they don't have time for them. You've got to have wasted time if you're going to have depth and friendships together. You need to do more things like this where you're together and hanging out in places where you have time. Well, Jesus does this thing that seems wasted, and when he gets to Simon Peter washing his feet, Simon says to him, Lord, uh, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't realize now, listen to these words, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. One of the things about this chemistry, about this pudding, of you loving each other at your high school, is it has delayed impact, powerful delayed impact. See, Jesus says, you're not going to get this now, but you're going to get this later. 
And I can tell you this, you've watched this. How many of your friends will spend the rest of their year living for a weekend trying to just drink themselves to death? But delayed impact-wise, they'll watch your real friendships, and slowly over time they'll go, okay, this doesn't work. What is it you guys are doing again? What is it you believe again? I mean, you have to believe that the impact is delayed. It happens. So many times we look back on our life. I mean, how many of us got it the first time? But one of the things it does is you have to allow for it to happen later. Somebody did it for you. You know, this is one thing I'm praying for for all of you. I've been telling this to the staff and to your leaders. If a couple upperclassmen, and some of you underclassmen, you will be upperclassmen, so you need to paint this vision. If you're a sophomore, you can do it right now because there's freshmen underneath you. But if a couple people, as they get older, would reach down the social ladder and care for people underneath them, it'll change forever, delayed impact-wise. Uh, at our high school, one of the things that's happened, I told you about our two girls who decided they would fill a cabin of underclassmen girls, right? They did that, and those underclassmen girls, when they came, they were doing sleepovers over the summer and just being with those girls. And those girls have graduated and gone on. Do you know what's really ironic? There are now 10 girls who are already starting to love girls younger than them, and I never told them to do it. They're just doing it because that's what somebody else did for them. But here's the hardest part. Somebody has to go first. Somebody has to go first. And they'll set the trend, and then it becomes normal for people to go, gosh, you know what? If you're involved in this thing with Jesus, you love other people, you, that's what you do. And they'll do it to the next generation, and the next generation, and the next generation. And we need some of you in here to be starters, to change your school forever. Well, Peter freaks out and says, no, you'll never wash my feet. And he says, unless I wash you, you'll have no part with me. What he's telling Peter is, Peter, don't assume you know everything. One of the things that pudding doesn't do is it doesn't assume God's answers. One of the questions I've got for you is, are you praying for your school? Indian Hill High School absolutely changed. It was the first high school club that I ever led. I can tell you what changed it. There was a group of kids, and they made this pack. They were campaigner kids. There was only six or seven of them. Six or seven campaigner kids made this pack that between when we were starting to talk about taking friends to camp and we wanted to change their high school, and we, we had the conversation, campaigner weekend like this, that every Saturday night at 11.30, most all of them for some reason had curfew kind of at midnight. So at 11.30, they would meet at the high school. Saturday night, 11.30, no matter what they were doing, went to a movie, out with friends, whatever, they'd leave, just pretend they had curfew, they'd show up at the school at 11.30, and they would walk to school and pray by themselves. That's what they would do. Their high school had 423 students in it, in their high school. Not a real big high school. 108 kids went to camp that summer. One-fourth of their school. They could go one, two, three, going to camp. One, two, three, going to camp. When 104 students came back, what happened to their high school? We would have half their high school sitting in a club. It was the most absurd thing you've ever seen. They ran their high school. But I'm convinced it's because they started by going to God and going, God, what do you want to do with this? They just prayed to pray for their high school. What is it that they were doing? We had a Young Life High School in Columbus, Ohio, Pickerington. We wanted to start, and it was absolutely dying. And some college leaders made a pact. They woke up, they drove 30 minutes from Ohio State's campus out to Pickerington Central High School. And for 40 straight days, they got there at 6 in the morning before school and prayed from 6 in the morning until 7 in the morning. Do you wonder why their school changed? But they made commitments. Other people didn't. Not assuming God's answers. And the Lord 
Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet and my hands, my head as well. He does this whole deal where he says, um, you know, wash me all. And then Jesus tells him, a person who has a bath needs only to wash his feet, but his whole body. So he's going, Peter, look, you and I are okay. You're covered. All right, you're loved. And then he says, although you're clean, not every one of you, for he knew the one who was going to betray him. This is the question I have. You see, pudding, pudding isn't always made of the same ingredients. Why did Jesus allow Judas on the team? Have you ever wondered this question? Like if you were going to pick 12 people and that you're going to use them to change the world, why would you pick Judas? I mean, think about it. I would have brought Judas in like at the last minute. You know, the last day I would have picked him up and been like, okay, I need the guy who's going to betray me. Bring him in. But at the very beginning, Jesus walks next to the guy who's going to betray him for three years as an inside friend. Have you ever felt betrayed by a friend? Jesus brought him in. I mean, when you wonder about the different disciples, it's like what the roles they play. It's like whatever happened to Bartholomew, you know? I mean, we know all Peter, James, and all these stories. What about the other 12? And one of the things that you realize about this group is you all will play different roles. God will use you in different ways. When you sit in your group of campaigner kids, do you do this? Like we sat in our group and we were like, okay, look, right now we have a bunch of football meatheads in our campaigner group. And we love each other. It's great. But right now, if you came to our thing, people would go, well, it's just a bunch of football meatheads. So we started going, well, we need to get some other people. So the guys started praying. They started going, hey, are there some guys in the band that we know? One of them's like, I got this guy who's in my class who's in the band. Maybe I can befriend him. And then somebody else said, well, I know this, this person who's in the theater department. Maybe we can get them. You see, one of the things we realized is to make pudding that was really viable at our school, we had to sit down and kind of strategize who are people in the different fingers of the groups of the school that we could bring into the pudding so that everybody in their groups at school then would feel welcome to come. And it made friendships that were different. Places that don't happen. It's like this group of kids doesn't talk to that group of kids in the high school, but now they do. Because God's moving. Sit down with your group and start to say, who are we missing? And let's start to pray that God would bring us some friends from different groups in our school. Let's destroy the social ladder at our school. It'll be really fun. People won't know what happened. And you have the power to do it. Well, Jesus does this whole deal and then he finishes. And he says, I've set you this example. I've done it for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. To have this pudding, you've got to know that Jesus went first. He did it. Everything he did is an example. And he'll bless it. Here's the last thing I want to share with you. And I want you to stick this in your head as you try to figure out how you all will love one another. I mean, is there really anything different from you and your group than anybody else, any other group in the high school? Do you realize you are completely loved, completely covered in Christ? There is nothing wrong you can do. You walk into the school of Jesus Christ every day. Your friendships, you can choose to have each other's back in such a way that you can go love other people. Do you realize that your group of friends, you are the light of the world for them. You're the city on a hill. That's you. But it's the way you love each other. And I want to encourage you. You've got to spend some time talking about, are we really loving each other? Do we talk behind each other's backs? Or do we really love each other? We really want the best for each other. Do our guys treat our girls right? Do our girls treat our guys right? Do upperclassmen treat underclassmen right? Do we really care about one another? And get your stuff straight with each other. And then it'll be really compelling. Here's what I want you to do to finish. Just stand up right where you're at. But I want you to listen. We're going to sit in a break. We're done. I want to read this last little passage to you. And I just want you to hear it. This is kind of your benediction, if you will. 
and we're done. All right, do me a favor and try to really listen to these words and think through it. This is something every time I try to think through, what does God want to do with me? What was his strategy? This is one of the things that I read. It says, there is no person in history who has impacted all of mankind more than Jesus of Nazareth. We certainly are talking about him 2,000 years later. That's pretty good. It says, Jesus was deeply concerned for the continuation of his redeeming work after the close of his earthly existence. And his chosen method was a formation of a small band of committed friends. That's you. He didn't form an army, establish a headquarters, or even write a book. What he did was he collected a very few common men and women, inspired them with a sense of spirit and vision, and built their lives into an indensive fellowship of affection, worship, and work. One of the truly shocking passages of the gospel is that in which Jesus indicates that there is absolutely no substitute for the tiny, loving, caring, reconciling society. If this fails, he suggests all is a failure. There is no other way. He told the little Bedrago Fellowship they were actually the salt of the earth. And if this salt should fail, there would be no adequate preservative at all. He was staking it all on one throw. What we need is not intellectual theorizing, not preaching, but a demonstration. One of the most powerful ways of turning people's loyalty to Christ is by loving others with the great love of God. We'll never revive faith by argument but we might catch the imagination of puzzled men and women by an exhibition of fellowship so intensely alive that every thoughtful person would be forced to respect it. That's you. Here it goes. This is the final. If there should emerge in our day, if there should emerge at your high school such a fellowship, holy, not artificial, not fake friends, free from the dead hand of the past, they forgive each other quickly. It would be an exciting event of momentous importance. It would change your whole school. A society of genuine loving friends, set free from self-seeking struggle for personal prestige of popularity and from all unreality. It would be something unutterably priceless and powerful. And any wise person will travel any distance to join it. That's what you are. That's what you are at your school. The truth is, the way that you all go back and love each other, the way that you go back and try to hear God's voice and love each other and then lose your life for other people, it'll change everything. But here's the most beautiful part. You know what changes first and foremost is you. Your life will be so full. It'll overflow. There'll be nothing in you that's bored. You won't go, oh man, another day of school. You'll go, oh man, another day of school. It'll kill you to graduate. Instead of being the seniors, I just can't wait to get the freak out of here. It makes me so sad. It's like, really, that's your whole life. Your life is so sad, you just can't wait to get out of here. That says something about you. You know what will happen? They'll get in college, and you know how they'll finish college? Just can't wait to get out of here. And then they'll get a job, and they'll go, I just need another job. A job sucks. And then they'll get in a marriage, and just like half the people, they'll go, I just need another marriage. 
and they'll never figure out that the common denominator is them. Listen to his voice. Lose your life. Love each other. You'll never think like that. You'll never think like that. And God will bless you in such ways that you'll drive through the trees as you're going home today and you'll think, God, you are so good. You are so good. God, thank you for these friends. I pray, Lord, that their life would never know emptiness. Although they may know loneliness and they may know pain, I pray that they do not know emptiness. That you would bless them with rich friendships. I pray that they would love one another in such a compelling way that it would change their school, their town, the world. I pray, Lord, that you would help them when they struggle with each other to ask for each other's forgiveness. I pray that they would have each other's backs in their school so that they could love other people and know that there are people that are behind them. I pray they wouldn't just be some holy click huddle that would only love each other, but that they would love others, that they would lose their life. I pray most of all, Lord, that they would learn to listen to your voice and know it, to know that they're loved by you, that there's nothing more that they have to do. Ah, Lord, that that love would overflow in them, that it would come out of them, that they would know it richly and deeply. Lord, I pray that every time there's some place and they leave, it would break their heart because they know that they're loving so much what you're doing there. I pray that tomorrow morning when they wake up and they have no voice and they're sick and they go to school and they're sitting in class, that they would see life completely differently than when they came into this weekend. I pray your blessing on them. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.